welcome to episode 14 of Tall Poppy. I'm Tathra Street. In this episode, we dip our toe into the realm of productivity with David Burkus and his Work Smarter Summit. David is the voice and brains behind Radio Free Leader, a podcast that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Our conversation explores the intersection of leadership and working smarter. The Work Smarter Summit is designed for people who want to make better use of their time and with the intention that you'll find something that resonates for you and ultimately help you get better results with less time and effort. David's approach is all about being evidence-based. He's the perfect person to disrupt the ideas of what we think about what works with the facts based on research. He eschews the one-size-fits-all approach, recognizing that what works for some doesn't work for others, which is why he's gathered a wide range of thought leaders around productivity for the Work Smarter Summit. Our conversation explores his why for creating the summit, if technology helps or hinders leadership and productivity, and the moment leadership happens. Okay, so I'm speaking with David Burkus. Welcome, David. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So David is a fellow podcaster who's far more experienced than I, um, and he's also a fellow status quo disruptor, and uh, he's an author, professor, and contributor to HBR and Inc. So welcome to Tall Poppy, David. Oh, thank you again, yeah, for having me. And and I wouldn't, I mean, I've just been doing it painfully for a really long time. It doesn't make me experienced as a podcaster. It just makes me, it makes me delusional, right? Like, um, but I, I mean, I enjoy it. I, I joke that I would be doing it even if no one was listening, just because I get to have those conversations. Luckily, yeah. people listen in, but the yeah. big deal yeah. is I get to have the conversations. Yeah, same. I it's just stuff I love talking about, and and this is the first time I've I've veered outside of the leadership space to really talk about productivity. So I'm really excited about this conversation today. So um, let me just first ask you because I mean you've obviously got a lot of things that you do. So when people ask you, what do you do? How do you respond? <laughs> so I'm pretty I'm pretty terrible at it, right? The I, I have how I usually respond, which is some sort of bumbling thing about writing books and traveling around and speaking about them and being a professor and whatever. But then as I walk away from the conversation, I go, Oh, I should have tried my awesome line, which is this. I'm gonna try it here just so you have it. Cool. Which is I take ideas from academic research and I put handles on them so they can become tools for people to use to get more out of their life. Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a souped up really cool way to say it, but I find in person, I never actually say it. Instead, I just kind of like bumble uh, about writing different why books. Did, and yeah. Why do you say that? Because uh, I don't know. I mean, I think people, it, it's, it's something, especially the academic stuff, like your stuff is very evidence-based, obviously, right? And, you know, people seem to, to have this idea that what happens in academia and the rest of the world, there's a bit of a disconnect. So to be able to bring those two together, I think is a really powerful tool. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, on, on the show, we talk about uh, tearing down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office, right? Because nice. I think there really are awesome insights. And I mean, I'm not the only person in this space. You know, you've got your Malcolm Gladwells and Daniel Pink and Chip and Dan Heath, et cetera. Um, but we need more of them because there's a whole lot of social scientists out there whose work isn't getting discovered. Absolutely. Totally agree. So let's just launch into the Work Smarter Summit. Um, tell me a bit about what it is and what inspired you to do it and why it's important to you. Yeah. So, th I mean, uh, those, those are actually all very different questions, right? So, yeah. so maybe we'll, can I answer in reverse? So why is this important? Yes, to me? Okay. Please. 
So um, I am a, I, so I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, I travel around, I'm a speaker, and I still teach a full load of courses at a university, and I'm also a husband and a father, right? So any tool that can help me do all of that better, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm interested in, right? But exactly. I've wasted a ton of time playing with other people's tools trying to get them to work for me, right? Whether it's GTD or, um, you know, this specific to-do list method or go using an old school day timer or whatever the Franklin Covey method was from like a decade and a half ago, right? I, I've tried almost all of them uh, and I don't like them because I think you need to start from a place of knowing you and how you tick, what motivates you, what your priorities are, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and the, really the only way to get that is to hear from lots of different voices, right? So when, when I say work smart, when people say work smarter, not harder, what they mean is essentially work in a way that gets more done in less time. And now when you go in for research on that, work in a way that gets more done with less time, what you find is lots of people going, well, here's how I do it. So I'm going to sell you this system on how I do it, right? I'm going to write this book about here's the perfect way to do it, the life-changing magic of following my way, right? And that person's one person and that's great, but they're a sample size of one, right? In social science research, no one would ever get published with a peer-reviewed study if your sample size was only one, right? So clearly we need to hear from a lot of different voices. So, you know, so that really brought me to this idea of like, well, we need to get all of the different voices together. Because if you're going to create sort of one thing, one event, one series of content, et cetera, that's actually going to appeal to everybody, you need to hear from as many people as possible so they have the best chance of it all resonating. So what is that? The best format for delivering that content is uh, an online summit, a collection of a variety of different experts in the field and a variety of different fields, really, um, all giving their advice so that there is almost guaranteed, but not guaranteed, but there is something that's going to resonate with you there if you're one of the people that are listening to it because there's such a diversity of ideas. And I love that you've got these three streams. So can you talk about that? The work smarter, collaborate smarter and lead smarter? Okay, so we we divide the summit into um, working smarter, which is general. It's about you, right? So productivity tools are in here, but also human motivation. How how do you tick, um, and how can you best leverage that? Then we talk about collaborate smarter because the reality is most people in 2017, most of us are doing work in teams. So understanding how to work on the team you're on is hugely important, and that actually leads me into the third stream, which is this idea of leading smarter. If you're in a management role, or you want to be in a management or, or leadership role understanding how to work better in teams is a little bit different because you're the one in charge. You're the one who's got to figure out how everybody ticks and design a work system for that. So hence, we kind of designed into those uh, three different streams. And when I say three different streams, what I mean is we're looking for a balance of experts to provide and make sure we hit on all of that content. So it's not just productivity tips and tricks and tools. It's also deep research on how humans collaborate better. Um, It's leadership research. It's a bunch of things to help you, again, get, get better results but in uh, less time with less effort because it's evidence-based. Okay, so I want to take a step back and, and ask what inspired you to do this? I mean, this is a massive undertaking and I know that you've got a group, you know, you've got people working on it from different aspects, but yeah, what, was there a, like a clincher, like was there something that just kind of went, oh my God, this is, this is needed? So, so for me, you know, personally, a lot of this idea came out of that frustration, that annoyance that I'm trying all these systems and they're not working because I, you know, I didn't know, A, I didn't know enough about that person to begin with. 
and whether or not they uh, worked in a similar way to me and hence whether or not their system would work. So it came out of that frustration. Um, but then there's also, I'll be honest with you, there's also like, and the, the, that frustration led to the realization that like, this is probably going to be helpful for more people. There's also a selfish reason, right? Just like podcasting, there's the idea that by, by launching this initiative, I get to talk to all of these people too, right? So I, I, it really started as like a project to help myself. And then I realized how helpful it would be to a lot of other people. And so I went for it. Fantastic. I love it. So um, in the work that you do, I'm wondering if there's something from like an example of, you know, whether it's an organization that you've encountered or just the people that that you see on a, on a daily basis that you think, okay, yeah, the, this work smarter summit is needed because of this, because I see this, because people experience this. And I know that a lot of it is, you know, your own experience, but I'm curious about, you know, your, your experience in working with others as well and what you see. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I, you know, somebody asked me the other day, who would be the ideal person? Like, how do you know this is the right thing to sign up for? Uh, yeah. I mean, A, it's totally, it's totally free to sign up for. So, you know, you can't lose, but B, like, how do you know it's worth your time, et cetera? And it's really weird. Um, the answer I gave them is if you feel like you're drowning this is probably for you, right? So it's the beginning of 2017. This is when new projects happen. This is when people make new commitments about work, life, et cetera. They set new goals or new year's resolutions or whatever it is. And, and we deliberately, this is going live in February because February is the month when everybody realizes they're drowning, that keeping up with old commitments while also achieving these new goals is a little crazy, right? So it's, it's weird. It's a little counterintuitive. I find myself saying that if you feel like, Oh, I I don't have enough time to watch all of these interviews. (laughs) So why, why should I sign up for this? You should be the one signing up for this because if you do watch it, you're going to figure out how to, to make better use of your time, right? So, you know, e- even if you sign up and you just watch one or two of them, you're going to walk away with a nugget that will help you with that drowning problem of, oh, I have way too many new commitments and I don't know how to get all of them done. Yeah. So, yeah, I just really, I really like the way that you've, you've designed the, the summit itself, that it's very accessible. So tell me a little bit more about the design and, um, you know, what you want people to know about this event and how to engage with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we did to to try and do that, to sort of maximize the, you know, if you're short on time, um, but you know, you want a lot of these insights, you want to benefit from a lot of this um, content, then, you know, one of the things that we did is I ask in in every interview in in the entire summit, I ask everybody uh, a couple questions that are always the same. And one of them is, is there a, an app, a routine, a life hack, something you use to work smarter, right? And we mm-hmm. actually are collecting all of those answers and we're turning them into an ebook. So we're turning them into oh, a, a PDF that is this collection of all of their answers for two reasons. One, you know, you, you get that for signing up. It's totally free. It's just another gift. But I also think it's going to help people figure out who they should listen to, right? I mean, I would obviously love it if you uh, can listen yes. to all 35 plus um, interviews. But I realize that a lot of people are going to go, wow, I just need, you know, I just need an insight right now. Now, what can I do? Well, flip through this book, see which little quote about this hack or routine or method that that resonates with you. And then that's the interview you should probably go watch. Mm, Nice. That's great. So curious, I mean, I imagine you've been working on this for a while. What have you learned about, you know, what has the Work Smarter Summit done for you as far as what you've learned in the process? 
Yeah. So, you know, one of the most interesting things that's come up from the summit is, and some of this I brought on myself. So in my my most recent book, Energy Management, I talk about companies that are banning email and how email is not actually as productive uh, as possible. And what's interesting is I found a couple guests who fall on very different sides on email mm-hmm. and on the email and the social media issue, right? So we interview mm-hmm. people like Cal Newport, who is, you know, really famous for emphasizing that what creates value is deep work, focused work, and responding to emails does not count as that. And in fact, it's a distraction, right? And Cal's actually famous for being probably the only millennial, the only 30-something I've ever met who doesn't even have a Facebook account. He does literally no Whoa. social media whatsoever. Wow. And the, the reason is that he can focus on that deep work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Contrasting that, we've got other people who, you know, oh, I use my my inbox like my to-do list and here's how I make it work for me, right? And then we have other people who are saying that, that social media is the whole reason they can create value because it gives them a, a finger on the pulse and they talk about how they how they get a benefit of being sort of on social media for an entire day, but only checking in a couple different times. There's all of these different opinions, really, of how to make it work. And I think that's, I mean, I sort of brought that on myself, right? I wrote a chapter in Under Management on outlawing email. So the people who don't want to outlaw email are definitely going to come talk to me about it. And the people like Cal, who uh, are are in line with what I wrote about previously, are definitely going to come talk about it. And so the, the debate in that, there's been this subtle current of technology, and is it helping us or is it hurting us through a lot of these interviews. And it really is fascinating to sort of look at a 30,000 foot view of the the diversity of opinions we've got just in that summit. So in that, what, what, what do you think people need to, other than, you know, being more productive, like what are some of the things, the considerations for us as we look to, you know, what the future of work and, and the, the change of our relationship with technology is bringing so, uh, you know, when it comes to, it's interesting, we sort of define technology as, as anything invented after we got comfortable in the workplace, right? And if that's the case, I think we're always going to be resisting the future of work, right? So uh, at the same time, though, we're always going to be creating the same problems, right? So uh, outlaw, outlaw Email talks, the chapter Outlaw Email, and, and also Cal Newport's work in Deep Work talks about how email is not all that effective because it's distracting and you can't really have meaningful conversations. Well, newer technology technologies like Slack and Yammer and, and other things like that are equally not great for um, for having information-rich conversations. They're a little bit better because they don't sort of ping you the same way your smartphone does. I mean, literally, it's, it's weird. Post-2007, when the smartphones really went you know, to a mass audience, now mm-hmm. everyone takes their work home with them every single night, which is a, which is a little damaging, right? For, to relationships, to rest and recuperation, all those sort of things. So what is interesting to me is I, I think where we're headed is a tech is a technology enabled ability to separate out deep work moments and shallow work moments, as Cal Newport would say. Um, and, and, it's odd because where we've been headed for the past, you know, 80 something years has been towards more connection, more connection, more connection. And what I'm encouraged by is that I think we're turning a corner and technology is leading us to the right connection and collaboration, but still recognizing that there is some solo um, deep thinking and deep focused work that has to happen in order to create value. Hmm. All sorts of things I, I could pick apart there, but I'm, I'm interested I'm wondering if we could just go down the the leadership track for a moment. And I just want to ask you just to start with, what does leadership mean to you? And then I want to come back and sort of weave in those pieces from what you've just said. 
So, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of weird. I fancy myself a professor of leadership and innovation, right? And those are my backgrounds, but I don't tend to write directly about leadership. Instead, I, I try and write stuff that is useful for leaders, and uh, one of the reasons for that is I think you know, people get into the definitional question, what, you know, what does it mean to you? What's the definition of it? whatever? And I don't want to go down that road. Suffice it to say, the thing that I think everyone agrees on is that you become a leader inside of a group the moment you take responsibility for where that group is going and helping get them there. That may mean you have the title. That may not mean that you have the title. You might have the title and not have taken that responsibility yet and still think it's all about you. People then wouldn't call you a leader. So in, in my opinion, you become a leader when you take responsibility for the people around you. Now that said, taking responsibility means a whole lot more than just, you know, reading popular literature on uh, leadership. It means staying up to date in your field, it means reading about how teams work and how they how they interact, it means reading about motivation, it means reading about strategy. There's a lot of different areas of knowledge that leaders need to be uh, engaged and involved in. And that was, you know, like I was saying in the beginning of the interview, there are a lot of authors who are bridging the gap between social science research and practical application. And I think we need a, a lot more voices because there's a lot there to be helpful for, um, for the leaders, for the people who are taking responsibility for the welfare and also the progress of the people around them. So the question I want to ask following on from that is about if you see what you see in your day-to-day -day work around whether it's leadership or people management that, again, tying it into the working smarter what what is it that that people are aren't doing or you know whether it's the old models that they're using for leadership um that that the work smarter summit is going to provide something for people so yeah, when, when we say working smarter, you know, as we, we talked about earlier, it, it essentially most, for most people working smarter, not harder means getting uh, more, better, or at least similar results uh, in less time, less effort. And this is, you know, almost exactly what uh, managers and team leaders are, are asked to do, right? Um, I don't like the idea of they're being asked to get more from their people with less, you know, money mm -hmm. or effort or, or things like that. But yeah. I think that they are challenged with getting their people more effectively to whatever that goal is, whatever as a team you've sort of decided. It was one of the reasons why, you know, I, when we're, we're designing Work Smarter Summit, we can't just say, oh, it's got to be productivity because most of us work in teams, which means you've got to take that responsibility, aka be a leader, uh, mm -hmm. for bringing that whole team to their destination, which means you've got to know about how teams work and how to collaborate smarter and how personality styles differ and how uh, your you, how your role functions on that team. So it was one of the reasons we felt the need to include it because I th I think that you know it's incumbent on people people look to leaders to know sort of how to model their own life. I mean, you honestly think about the people in your work life who you've looked up to, whether they had a title or not, and you would say were a leader for you you emulated them to some extent. And the people who were bad leaders, you didn't emulate. And not just emulate as far as style or things that they would say, but literally in how they worked. I mean, I have habits that I still do in my work life that came from my first ever manager, fresh out of college, first guy I ever reported mm -hmm. to, right? So yeah. leaders set that tone as well. And so I think it's important to, to cover all of it, which is why we really made sure we had not just work smarter, but collaborate smarter and lead smarter. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask a curly question now. What do your critics say about you? <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, the, probably the most common criticism I get about a lot of my work is, is the one actually I wish for, right? Which is, there's nothing new here. 
Right. But but it's sort of like, exactly, right? I, I learned pretty early on into grad school in pursuit of my doctorate that I am a terrible researcher. Uh, I mean, I can, I can do it. I can understand statistics. I can design studies, but it bores me to tears. Um, but I was an undergrad English major and I really like storytelling. And so my goal mm. is to present research that, may, that maybe you have heard of, right? Or, or stories that maybe you have heard of in a way, like I said earlier, to, that puts handles on these ideas so that you can actually use them better. So if someone, my, the, most common criticism that I hear is, oh, there's nothing new there. And it's sort of like, great, awesome. You already have this lesson. Hopefully you're applying it. If not, why not? But you know, it's not for you. Who I'm seeking are the people who desperately need these tools, desperately need an evidence-based approach to leadership, desperately need an evidence-based approach to working better and being more motivated, et cetera. That's who my work is targeted towards. And so if it's, it's new to most of them, but if you're that, you know, one of the few that sort of says that like, awesome, cool. I'm so glad you got it. Help me spread the word. <laughs> I love it. That's a great answer. Um, and so I'm thinking about the evidence base piece, and I'm also thinking about you know innovating around whether it's leadership or productivity, which is not evidence based. It's it's creating something perhaps new and different if there is such a thing. <laughs> and so I'm I'm interested to know what you think about you know, the, what is the crux of the evidence-based component next to the, the new ways of doing things or, or trying something different that doesn't have a stack of research behind it? Yeah. So, so I would, I would actually push back on this. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, what I found, you know, in under new management's my, my latest book, as I was talking about earlier, and it, um, it, it's a mix of the practices and policies and procedures that a lot of companies are doing now, um, in order to have a better work culture or have more productive or more innovation, whatever it is. And it's, it runs the gamut. It's things from the way that performance reviews are being done or not done, um, to the way that salaries are being set. It's a lot of those. And, and the reason I focused in on those is what I found was that, entrepreneurs, especially people who are starting new companies and scaling new companies experiment a lot, not just with their product, but with their people. And they stumble into something that works and then it sort of scales. And what I see, my background is in organizational psychology. What I see in a lot of these cases was they unknowingly stumbled into something that aligns itself with research. And okay. so even, even other things like I, I have a chapter on unlimited vacation time, which is, you know, it's, it's be a really cool thing for a lot of people. A lot of people say, Oh, um, People don't take any more vacation when you go to it, or sometimes they take less. That's not the point. The point is vacation days are sort of like expense reports. They're this little thing that we nickel and dime a lot of employees out of and make employees feel not trusted. And so by going to this unlimited vacation system, leaders were saying, no, we trust you to be responsible. We're, we're going to allow you to manage this because we know you'll do something that's in your interest and our interest. They treated people like adults. And you know what? They got more adult-like behavior. Well, there's a wealth- uh, Funny that, that, you know, well, and, and I think, yeah, trust is is the foundation in, with everything, really. Yeah, fun, funny if you treat adults, you get, emo I mean, you, you know, okay, so you might get one person who takes advantage of you, but you in, you share that person with your competition, right? You invite them to be successful elsewhere and you <laughs> in, in, invite the other That's 99 people to stay it. in your, your organization. Yeah. But well, there's normally a, there's what a, happens is that the policy gets created around that one person who screwed up. Yeah, or policy created, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And it's sad because it sends the message. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's sad because it sends the message that that we don't trust you. And that's a huge really? problem. There are decades of research into trust that trust is reciprocal. Trust is something that you don't, you don't earn. It's not given. Um, you make the decision to trust someone else 
And over time, they respond with trustworthy behavior. That's where it starts, and that's how it spirals up to higher levels. So these companies that are doing unlimited vacation are stumbling into what decades of research on trust and treating people like adults would would advise them to do. And they found it by being their own little experimenters. And I wonder if there's something about bringing some of those entrenched behaviors in a parental relationship into the workplace, into people management, where, you know, there's this idea that that people can't be trusted and that they don't know everything. So you have to be directive with them and you have to tell them what to do and you don't give them the bigger picture. Like, do, do you think that, that there's a little bit of like, um, you know, parental hangover happening there that, that sort of has people go, oh, this is how I need to treat the um, people that I manage? So, you know, I've, I've honestly never thought of it that way. Um, I, I point my finger at Frederick Taylor. Frederick Winslow Taylor, um, parental figure, the father of scientific management. Frederick was a, a management consultant in the early 1900s, and he was working with factories. And, you know, factories are a really interesting thing. You need lots of humans who are exerting effort but not thinking. They just need yeah. to do repetitive tasks over and over and over again. And he really wrote the rule book, the first real rule book for how to be a manager. And while we've adapted it and made edits to it and added appendices and that sort of stuff, for the most part, we're still operating on that foundation. And that, I mean, that's literally why the, the book is called Under New Management, as I argue. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need an entirely new foundation for management. We need to take a totally different, you know, we need a change of ownership, right? Because if we're going back to that Frederick Winslow Taylor day, we're still making assumptions about employees that just aren't true. And one of them is that idea that they can't think smart enough for themselves or they're not resp- responsible enough that we know better. And I'll be honest with you, especially in knowledge work and in creative work, you're em- you don't know better than your employees. Most of the time, <laughs> they actually know how to do their job better than the managers do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, I'm seeing more and more about how it's really actually important to have people who know more about you or are better than you at some things in your team. And I, th- I can imagine the risks that we don't even, we can't even anticipate at this point, given most of, you know, we're heading in a direction where we're not looking for people exerting effort, doing the same thing over and over again. We are looking for people who are going to think their way out of problems and that, you know, the, the, the automation is going to be such a huge component of the work life. And, and I feel like it's already heading that way, but we're not even realizing it. But people have this sort of idea, oh, it's coming. It's like, well, it's here, actually. <laughs> and and we're, yeah, like you say, we're, we're still using these old models of how to manage people. So, yeah, what, what, um, what are you seeing in the, in the research that gets you excited about the new ways that are or the, 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 you know, what the research is telling us about where we're headed? So, you know, I, I think one of the things, and you know, I didn't expect that this would be the, the hill that I would die on, but uh, one of the things that's actually getting me most excited, we talked about it under new management and, and it keeps developing, is um, issues around salaries and how salaries are set and who, I mean, who determines it, but also how it's communicated, that sort of thing. And, you know, I found myself, I gave a, a TEDx talk that somehow found itself on the front page of TED.com and is now seen by tons of people. And I get emails from people, tell, a, a, telling me I'm an idiot, but also emails <laughs> telling me I'm a genius. Um, I was, and it's, it's not my idea to begin with, right? It's, it's actually what a lot of companies are doing with, with making salaries more transparent, or at the very least, making, letting employees know that the system is fair by showing them what the system is. That may not be 
be telling everybody what everybody gets paid, but showing them here's how we set salaries. And that's, that wasn't my idea. I, other entrepreneurs were doing it. I just made the connection to there is, again, there's several decades of research into um, motivation that shows that when people don't know, they're terrible at judging each other's salaries and they're more likely to end up not trusting the company because they think the company's trying to take advantage of them. So brings it back to track. Exactly. Exactly. It all goes back to trust. Isn't that weird? <laughs> um, there's, there's the leadership lesson of the show right there. It actually yeah, all goes well, back to, to, tr- to and, trust. And for me, the, that lesson came from Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And when you flip the triangle, the base of it is trust. And without that, yeah. you yeah. can't have those robust conversations. You can't have the level of, of accountability. And you know, it go- just goes on from there. Yeah, totally. Totally. So when, when it comes to you know, these emerging trends in how we get paid and whether it's salary transparency or, um, I'm trying to remember how, how, what it's actually called, but where people are paid for, um, outcomes. So, you know, I, I might have a base salary and then if I, um, can achieve this, then, you know, have a certain amount of money that's uh, identified or attached to that outcome that I get paid for. Do, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah, sort of so merit pay and hybrid right. systems and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I like, and I'll just give you a little bit of a sense of my own experience. So I'm working yeah. on a project where I'm thinking, okay, well, I am, I am, you know, contracted to be here from this time of morning to this time of the end of the day. And, um, you know, I might actually get what I need to done in much less time, but I'm required to sort of, you know, be in the office. Um, and it just like, I, I'm thinking about some of the, the things that I've heard about, you know, instead of us being paid salaries, like salaries, perhaps, you know, in the future, we won't have them in the same way that we do now but that it'll be based on um, pieces of work. And I'm, I'm noticing myself wishing that I could do that so that I could, I could just, you know, set my own hours and have, um, you know, know that I'm going to get the work done, um, but it's not based on me being in an office for, you know, from morning to afternoon kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. Um, the, the first is that I'm not really a big fan of equating presence with performance to begin with. Right. So I'm, I'm a much yep. bigger fan of here are your objectives. Here's what you, for a salaried employee, especially, but even independent contractors, you know, the, the, ideally those are the people that really should be the ones saying, okay, here are the objectives. Here's the project you're working on. Get it done. We don't care when you're around, when you're not, as long as you're making it to whatever meetings are vital and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whatever system, I mean, the, the weird thing about it, is I don't, especially coming from an evidence-based perspective, I can't bring myself to pick a model. You know, this is the perfect model of how to do a performance appraisal or how to set a salary or whatever, because every company is different. Companies are made up of people and every person is different. Therefore, every collection of persons company is different, right? So um, even in, you know, transparency, I, I can't outright say at every single company, everyone should know what everybody gets paid. I can say that with fairly good certainty that the odds are you're not being as transparent as your employees would want. That might not mean letting everybody know what everybody gets paid, but it might mean doing a better job of communicating how salaries are set and that there aren't vast differences that people sometimes think there are and those sort of things. So yeah, so even if you're in a, in a merit-based system or there's contract plus bonuses for hitting certain objectives, et cetera, whatever works for a company in terms of the salary 
awesome. Whatever it is, though, let's make sure that it is very, very transparently communicated because when people don't see it, they uh, default essentially to assuming that uh, the company's trying to take advantage of them, that they're trying to stiff them of a well-earned pay. And, and I don't know many companies that are actually trying to do that. It just happens in the void that's created by trying to keep it all a secret. Mm. Yeah. And the key thing I got from what you were saying there is the communication, being able to let people know this is what's going on. In my yet to be published book, there's a chapter on communication that, um, you know, is similar to trust. It's quite uh, pivotal to everything. And so um, I, I want to bring the communication piece into this and look at, you know, I can imagine in the Working Smarter Summit, there's there's a an element of of um looking at how we communicate or tools for communication. And I'm wondering if there's something from the Working Smarter Summit that you're particularly excited about that you want people to check out. Yeah. So, you know, actually one of the interviews that I wasn't, ex- I shouldn't, I really should not admit this. I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. And that's not what I yeah. mean, but um, <laughs> I was, I was interviewing this team. They call themselves the counter mentors, right? It's a, it's a father and son, baby boomer and millennial who are Ooh. both in the workplace now who mentor each other, hence counter mentors, oh, right? Yeah. And they, they work with companies on dealing with cross-generational uh, issues. Now, when I say issues, I literally mean communication. I, I literally mean how different people interact. And one of the things they brought up, I think applies not just cross-generationally, but they they said that a lot of the um, issues that fester and develop into problems inside of organizations stem from different definitions of the same word, right? So uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot of baby boomers. I mean, I literally heard one tell me today, a Gen X or not a baby boomer, tell me, well, the problem with millennials is they don't respect me. Right. And I, I just kind of looked at him and said, how do you, how do you know? Right. And then I asked, I asked the question they asked me in the summit, which is, is it possible that you have a different set of behaviors that communicates respect for you than they have? Is it possible that they think they're actually respecting you uh, and you're interpreting it differently because we're using different definitions? And that was like, that was, a, it was really opened my mind in a lot of spaces. It's not just cross generationally. I think a lot of times when, when you have a team, you have a team of people that are usually coming from various different experiences, which means even common words like respect might carry with them different definitions. And the we where we get lost in a lot of communication is when we're trying to decode, when we're trying to translate what that word means for me, because it might mean a different thing for you. And with respect, I wonder if it's about, uh, I think the, the younger generation may have more of a, an idea that respect is to be earned. Yes. I mean, so they, they were very specifically talking about meritocracy versus time and rank and those sort of issues. But, mm-hmm. but it goes deeper than that. Even, even things as little as like, um, behavioral changes. Are you, are you looking them in the eye and squared up, you know, body, body language wise to them when you're talking to them? Or do you feel okay. like you can do two things at once with them? Right. Uh, um, even yeah. little, even little behaviors like that, you know, one person says it communicates respect. Another group says, no, that doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with my respect for you. It has to to do with me looking up on the internet that thing that you were just talking about so I can help our conversation, right? So even in little things like that, we can see breakdowns. Mm, so like whether someone's looking at their phone and it's like, no, I'm actually, yeah, looking looking up a resource for in response to your question. And that could be misinterpreted. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm guilty of this. So even in 
Exactly. So I'm guilty of this. Even in faculty meetings at my university, I always bring my laptop. And I know that it annoys some of the older faculty because they think that I'm checked out. Most of the time, it's there so that I can Google something that they just referenced and then speak up with, hey, I just looked this up. Actually, here's the data, right? Um, Which I, I see as aiding the conversation. I get where they're coming from, right? So when I'm not looking that stuff up now, I take a, an effort to sort of deliberately close it so that over time they've learned that if I'm opening it, that's a signal that I'm looking something up, not that, that I'm just checking my email during the meeting so I can check out from it. Yeah, it's funny. I was um, reminded of uh, an incident. I was uh, doing some work for a government body, and this was like easily five years ago, and I went to a meeting and I realized I hadn't brought a pen. And so I decided, oh, I'll just take notes on my phone. And uh, within a few days of the meeting, I got, I think it was the acting manager at the time, kind of let me know that uh, it had been noted that I was on my phone during the meeting. And, you know, just it wasn't a good look. And I was like, I was taking notes. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's the optics. And I was like, right, okay. And, and I wonder if there's a generational thing in there as well, or maybe it's like a relationship with technology thing in that there's, you know, yeah, people just relate to um and, you know, look, now I think it's probably a bit different. People are, are more likely to be, um, maybe it's uh, not always necessarily respected, but, but being on your phone during the meeting doesn't necessarily mean that you're checked out. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we all know that person that's actually watching soccer, but yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, go, it goes back to that idea that that's the person you share with your competition. The rest of people, I think let's default to trusting that they're doing something that they see is adding value. Um, and let's explore that first before we rush to judgment. And look, there's probably a, a million things that we could continue to talk about, but I, I do want to wrap it up and I want to, um, let's see if there's uh, anything or particular advice you have for people about engaging with the Work Smarter Summit and um, how to, to connect to that. And obviously, we're going to link to that in the show notes to make sure people can get access to it. But what, what advice do you have as to how to, how to engage with such a, a huge wealth of knowledge that's available? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if step one, sign up, right? But step two, step two um, I get it. I, I've signed up for these sort of things before. I've listened to podcasts. You know, I run a podcast, so I know that not everybody listens to every little thing that I, that I put out. I get that. So sign up for it. Let the, the system will almost automatically email you that ebook that I was talking about with little snippets, and you're going to get a mm-hmm. great preview of what's being talked about in every interview. And so sign up for it, check that out. And then I would make a commitment to like, let's say, let's say three, make a commitment to watching at least three. I have a feeling once you watch three, you're going to want to watch a whole lot more of them, but make a commitment to that pick, use that, that ebook and pick which ones um, you definitely want to make sure you have time for. And I mean, maybe even set a reminder, et cetera. But if you're signed up, you will get notifications of when those are live. So make sure you make a note of them and check them out when they happen. And I love that the option to listen within 72 hours is there for, for people like me in Australia, where you might be doing it at a time that, that means that I would have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to, to catch the live one. So um, thank you for, for that, setting it up. No, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to. I, I, we do that. We do that for that reason. We, we also do it because, you know, it's the Work Smarter Summit. We know a thing or two about human behavior. And if we don't <laughs> pull it from you, you won't make the time to watch it, right? If it's yeah. there all the time, you'll go, oh, I'll watch it eventually and you won't. But if I tell you, okay, you've got 72 hours to watch it, you'll watch it in the like, next 20 minutes. It's great. So a little quirk I've learned of human behavior and that's kind of the reason that we do it. So last question, 
for people who have something that they want to get out into the world or have a desire to develop their own leadership, um, but have a bit of reluctance, I call it the, the tall poppy syndrome and, and looking for tall poppy advice. What would you say to people who are really wanting to put something out there, but are feeling a bit reluctant? So the irony is, I, I think most people, especially in a leadership standpoint, are already leaders, they just don't realize it. And here's what I mean by that. Remember, you know, when I talked about the definition, what does it mean to me? You become a leader when you take responsibility for the people around you. That can be family, that can be teammates, that can be whomever it is. And the odds are you've already made that decision to take responsibility for that community. So start with them. You're already leading them. So send it out to them. And I know that's weird because a lot of people are like, oh, if you want to do an amazing creative work, don't show it to your friends, et cetera. The odds are if you're taking responsibility for them, especially if they're not family, it's not a blood thing, but if you're taking responsibility for them, it's because there's some connection, some reason the two of you are sort of connected functionally or um, content-wise or, or, or you know, sub- subject-wise, right? So there's a reason they're following you. There's a reason you took mm. responsibility for them. They already want to hear from you and you're already their leader. Great. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, reluctant leaders are the ones that make the best leaders. And I think that's, that's a good way to, to identify it. David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm really looking forward to the Work Smarter Summit. Oh, thank you again so much for having me. David's a great person to talk to. And despite some of our technical difficulties, like delays and gaps that were mostly edited out, I feel like it was a really easy conversation, especially for someone I'd never spoken to before. As he mentioned, as a podcaster, you get to have really cool conversations. Two of my favorite topics, leadership and productivity tools, were at the center of this one. I really appreciate his focus on using the strength of academia to add strength to our attempts to deal with the realities of modern life and work. When I think of my own attempts to create systems to bring order to chaos, I've used all sorts of productivity tools. For a while, I was trying something new every few months. I've landed on a system that combines Evernote and Trello that really works. For the most part. And it's it's got enough flexibility to meet my need for balancing spontaneity with planning. And yeah, it's not perfect. So honestly, I'm looking forward to the Work Smarter Summit to learn a little bit more about what others are doing and what the research says. And if there's something for me to learn that will improve my system and the choices that I make about how I work. So what can we learn here? How do you manage your tasks? What about emails? Do you have notifications interrupting your work? What was the last thing you learned about how to work smarter, not harder? Is there something in the Work Smarter Summit that interests you? You can find links in the show notes as per usual. And FYI, I'm trying something new here. I've become an affiliate for the Work Smarter Summit because I believe it's going to be incredibly valuable, especially if you're a productivity geek like me. And David's put a really well-respected group of thought leaders from all over into creating the summit. And I just think it's going to be really valuable for anyone who's trying to navigate through the stuff that we deal with and how busy we are. And if you, know, if you want to be able to save time, I think there's probably something in there about how to do that. And yes, you can sign up at no cost and you can get connected to the summit through an all access pass, which is currently 97 US. If you want to listen and watch at your own schedule indefinitely, that's the way to go. On the free access, you can listen and watch any of the webinars live or within 72 hours, as we mentioned, again, designed with human behavior in mind. 
And there are also masterclasses, which are 197 US for a deep dive into an area or topic or a particular method that you're quite interested in or really resonate with and think might fit with how you work. And there's also the option to consult for an additional fee. So if you use any of my links to purchase any of those, a portion of the funds come back to Tall Poppy to help cover the costs of the podcast. And there's plenty of access without paying at all. And you can totally do that. If you do choose to purchase, you can support Tall Poppy in the process. And if you follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn, you'll see posts about the Working Smarter Summit there as well. On Facebook, I'm fb.com forward slash Tathra ST. So that's T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T. And on LinkedIn, you can just search for my name, Tathra Street, T-A-T-H-R-A, surname Street, S-T-R-A-A-T. Pretty sure I'm the only one. There's a few Tathras out there, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only Tathra Street. So once again, I appreciate you being part of the Tall Poppy community and we're growing. We've got a huge chunk of listeners in Australia, New Zealand, Canada and the US, but also Germany, Sweden, Croatia, the Philippines and Vietnam. So thanks for listening to Tall Poppy, where we explore leadership from a different angle, where we consider our own leadership, regardless of our role at work, in business and life. So if you feel like helping your fellow listeners with a short review to inform their choice to listen or not, because this isn't for everyone, but it is for you and we'd love to hear your feedback. So find us on tathrastreet.com forward slash podcast. You can leave messages in the comments. You can email us at poppy at tathrastreet.com because yeah, this is for you and we want to make sure that we're doing stuff that is of value, that you're finding it interesting. Um, And if you're not, I want to hear that too. I want to hear all of it. So once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.